This is Dr. Russell Robbins, Chief Medical Information Officer at Purple Lab, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Ready to unlock the power of healthcare data like never before? Meet Purple Lab, the innovative health tech company that is changing the game when it comes to accessing valuable insights in the world of healthcare. Purple Lab is on a mission to democratize access to data at scale, putting the keys to better healthcare outcomes right in the hands of customers. Discover the future of healthcare analytics with Purple Lab, your new best friend in healthcare analytics. We are in the first quarter of 2024, and as of 2022 study that was taken by um, Enterprise Apps Today and and Psychology Today, it said that the most common New Year's resolution in the United States of America was to exercise more, and even up to 48% of the people polled said that they want to lose weight and they want to get in shape. And it's this cycle that I don't know humanism seems to go through. Um, I have to admit, I do want to see shedding about, I'd say I need to shed about 15, 20 pounds, but I'm all right, you know, but it needs to get back into it. So I have a friend of mine who I met through the National Association of Specialty Pharmacies, and I'd like to introduce Russell Robbins, Dr. Russell Robbins, Chief Medical Information Officer here at Purple Lab. Great. Thank you, Todd. I'm glad to be here on the uh, Pharmacy Podcast Network talking about topics of interest to different clinicians and pharmacists in the uh, in the industry. So, Russell, what do you think of the stats that I shared with you? And why do you think that we go into this perpetuating cycle as humans that that new year gives us an opportunity to maybe reset and um, and shed some pounds that we don't need to have on us. No, it's always it's always an interesting question. You know, why why is that magic? You know, change of the calendar, the day we do it, when you could theoretically start any data with a new resolution to get in better shape and uh, lose weight. And you know, it, it was funny uh, that one of the classes I take at our local Y, we have usually about. Know, five to 10 people in the class. And on Saturday last weekend, we had 24 people. So, uh, you know, so everybody wants to start it. I think it's great that we all want to do this and we all can start at any point. And we, and, you know, as long as we continue and as long as, you know, our commitment stays there, it really doesn't matter when you start. And, uh, you know, now's as good a time as any. Yeah. Wow. Well, when we talked the first time, it was um, at the NASP, and you um, gave us some insight into what Purple Lab is and what your commitment and goals are. But just for listeners who didn't get to hear that episode with you, give us some background on yourself and and the mission at Purple Lab. Oh, great. I'd be happy to do that, Todd. So we are, uh, Purple Lab is a healthcare claims data aggregator. So we take medical claims and pharmacy claims we link them together in our Health Nexus platform. And in addition, we also take social determinants of health information, and we link that through a de-identification tokenization process to each of the medical and pharmacy claims. So what we're able to do in the Health Nexus platform is look at any given physician or any healthcare provider in the country and see what are the demographics of his or her patient population compared to other 
others in the same specialty, in the same region, in the state, or nationally. And similarly with uh, medications, we can look at any given prescription, whether it was written or dispensed, and see what were the demographics of the people who uh, got that prescription, and also uh, what were the demographics of the people who tried to fill the prescription but weren't able to. Does this play from a, a traditional community-based formulary and in, in, in dispensing from that environment versus a specialty pharmacy? Or, or is Purple Lab feeling as if your services are more needed in specialty? Or are you seeing Purple Lab go throughout the different sectors of where pharmacies are? Yeah, no, we, we see it across the entire uh, pharmacy spectrum, you know, so we have developed our own uh, methodology for uh, specialty pharmacy. We've also worked with, uh, you know, organizations such as NASP to look at the specialty pharmacy, you know, lists and providers that they have and link that to the uh, medical and the, uh, uh, and to the claim. So we can look at any given prescription, whether it's in specialty or not in specialty pharmacy, and see who's prescribing it, where are where is it being prescribed, uh, who's filling it. Uh, and again, taking all of this information into hand, it really helps uh, understand healthcare costs, healthcare trends, whether you're talking at it from the big pharma company perspective, the health plan perspective, the provider perspective, or even the consumer perspective. You really have insights into the data through the Health Nexus platform that you won't get from any other uh, way to look at healthcare data. So pulling us back into how we kicked off our conversation, there are a lot of controversial posts, uh, news coverage, uh, people following up from the 2023 publication through the Globe and Mail, who had a, a big research and story that came out that was titled, A Weight Loss Drug Everyone Wants is Exposing Myths About Obesity. And within that article, it talks about uh, physicians who have worked in um, helping people with obesity from, you know, this treatment modality and clinical oversight, uh, medication changes, things like that, that you're really wow. digging into it, has now exposed more data around what is obesity and really dissecting and demystifying it, which is wonderful. Um, I think of organizations like IntelliHealth, I think of um, obviously Purple Lab and what you're doing. I think of some of the specialty pharmacy management systems that are focused on specialty, um, which this all works together. So when I'm talking about the the popular drug that I don't think people really understand what's even happening with Covi and Ozempic, and you think of the opportunity that now is rising with what technology you have specific to that condition and disease state, open up with our listeners a little bit about your insights and your ideas around that kind of data access and usage in order to really help people live better lives. Yeah, no, thank, thanks, Todd. Um, so yeah, we look, you know, our our database goes back to uh, 2014. Obviously, with the uh, semaglutide drugs, you know, that's more of a recent phenomenon. So, uh, you know, so we don't have to go back to the beginning of our data set. But when we looked, uh, you know, I looked recently for prescriptions from October of uh, 2022 through October of 2023. And what we saw in our database is we have about 
2.8 million people uh, who have had a prescription for one of the semaglutide drugs dispensed. And so, you know, that's kind of our starting point of, you know, we have the, the breadth of prescriptions in there. And now what do you do with that information? How do you start digging down to see what's going on? You know, so we can look at it from, you know, which states are, you know, where are the highest number of prescriptions either at the state or the three digit zip code level? Are there certain, you know, uh, individuals in, you know, uh, different uh, socioeconomic groups or race or ethnicity groups who are getting the drugs or not? You know, how does even men versus women getting these drugs differ? And that's really where we can start to see, you know, who's getting the access to it and are some of these you know, stories in the popular press about, you know, people, uh, you know, just getting the drugs with no indications or just, you know, it's only the wealthy people who are getting the drugs. You know, is that really true or is that just, again, going back to some of the myths around not necessarily obesity, but about the treatments for obesity? So in backing up, it's also teaching our providers, our physicians, specialists in obesity, and of course, our specialty pharmacists, that there's something now more to obesity than what we originally had thought based on the data that's outcoming, and you know, the outcome for the, the, the correlation between diabetes management and obesity. It really opened up a new can of worms that's filled with data. So do we back up and say, what country throughout the world has the highest level of obesity? I'm sure this is a something you could probably Google. Um, and and um, what I'm saying is is it is it is it beginning as children? Is it beginning as teenagers when we're in our puberty stage, where we're we're on diets and we're eating food that you know is so high in processed and high in sugar and high in things. That it's setting that it's it's almost making us pre-diabetic from a very early onset. And is there any data that you have to kind of pull out uh, components around adolescence and GP, you know, GP one, for example? So yeah, so we can pull out information about adolescents, uh, you know, who are getting these medications. Obviously, some of the lifestyle choices, the dietary choices, these have been issues that I've been dealing with in healthcare now for the last oh, 20, 25 years. So, you know, so those issues haven't really changed. What has changed is some of the underlying treatments that are available. So with the approval last year of, uh, of Wagovi for adolescents, we pulled some data here at Purple Lab to see what was happening, you know, for that. Were people, you know, in that age range getting the medications or not? And what we saw there is when we look at the, um, when we looked at that, uh, just for the uh, 12 uh, to 17 year old population, we had several thousand uh, uh, adolescents who were getting the medication, obviously because of HIPAA, we can't look at the uh, social determinant of health factors there. However, what we did see is it was about almost an even split between commercial and Medicaid. So if you think that 
Medicaid is uh, serving a more um, a lower income uh, population, we can see that for those uh, teenagers who needed to get access to the medication, they were an income by itself was not a barrier. So I think that for me demystified uh, one of the uh, you know the myths out there that only you know the rich kids get these drugs mm -hmm. and it's not the the poor kids who get them. Really, anybody who has the clinical need to get these medications is able to get access to it. All right. So what about transitions of different treatment and different care? I think of um, stomach surgery for the right candidate of someone who is obese or someone going through um, bariatric surgery, whatever, whatever that is, whatever combination. So talk to us about drugs after bariatric surgery, for example. Sure. Yeah. So there's actually it's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, I've been doing some research about this. There is a trend that's appearing now that uh, people who get bariatric surgery are also being treated at the time of the surgery with uh, some type of uh, semaglutide. And what why we're seeing this uh, in about fifteen percent of the patients who have the surgery are getting this uh, getting these drugs. And we're seeing this for a few different reasons. One is, uh, some physicians feel that you know this uh, supports and maintains the the initial weight loss uh, by suppressing the appetite, so it prevents people from you know having good initial results and then slowly start to eat more and more and lose the effects of the bariatric surgery. We're also seeing uh, you know some other. Uh, uh, reports out in the literature uh, saying that, you know, these types of uh, uh, giving the uh, medication right after the surgery also helps uh, just uh, prevent uh, further complications downstream. So I think it's still early to see, you know, is this, uh, you know, going to be become more of a standard than not. But, you know, in about, as I said, 15, 16% of the time we're seeing this happening. So obviously, uh, you know, this again may be one of those uh, myths about obesity and obesity surgery that needs to be either proved or disproved in the future of as to whether or not giving the medications at the time of surgery makes sense or not. I think further trials will bear that out. Excellent. Excellent. So I cannot um, stop thinking of some other conversations that I am going to need to plug you into. Um, I want to also give a shout out to our pharmacists who are focused on helping uh, patients dealing with obesity. Make sure that you hook up and connect through even through LinkedIn um, with Russell. Um, Russell, what's your preference of, of connections with people um, for collaboration as well as maybe some future uh, panel episodes that we could be doing together? Sure, either LinkedIn or uh, directly through uh, my email at Purple Lab, rrobbins at purplelab.com. rrobbins at purplelab.com. Yeah, Look two you R's, up. two B's. <laughs> yes, Russell Robbins is R-O-B-B-I-N-S, and you will find uh, Russell on LinkedIn. I'm excited about some of our future topics. Something I want to uh, just tease out for our listeners, especially if you are a pharmacist. Once again, today's episode around um, obesity specifically, um, however, we're not limited. Next time, we'd like to dig into migraines. And there are specialty medications and specialty 
treatment programs that tie in um, a multitude of factors, especially if someone's comorbid and dealing with some other uh, other medications for other another situation or something you're going through. But Russell, can you give us a little preview of what we're going to be talking about in the next episode? Sure. So one of the things we were looking at with uh, migraine headaches is access to care and looking at uh, changes in uh, patient uh, preferences for uh, provider selection. So what we found, you know, what we can start to look at is when you have that initial migraine, where do you seek care? Once you start getting treatments for the migraine, whether it's with medications or alternative type of um, medical treatments like acupuncture, does that interaction change where you go the next time you need uh, migraine care? Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, Russell. I want to thank the um, Purple Lab team for all the work that you've put into this uh, this new programming. Um, we also want to give a shout out to our, our listeners, to our specialty pharmacists, our community pharmacists. If there is any subject matter that you hear on any of our uh, shows and you'd like to reach out to Russell or the team, please do so. You will see um, access in the LinkedIn connection in the show notes. Uh, wait if you're driving or you're on your way to work um, and reach out to us. We like working with uh, pharmacists. That's why we've grown to a, a global publication. And that's why we have good people re- and resources like Purple Lab and, and Russell on our team. So thank you so much, Russell. Um, it's It's been good to talk with you. Great. Thank you, Todd.